Today's episode is brought to you by Shoes on King, which is one of my all-time favorite shoe stores. Um, the thing about Shoes on King is that they have everything from your runners to your night out shoes to your boots. Um, it's also a female-owned, locally operated boutique on King Street between Calhoun and George Street. One of the reasons I love Shoes on Kings, or one of the many reasons, is they carry a range of shoes in all price points, and there is always something for every occasion. The store prides itself in finding emerging designers, so you know they always have the latest and the greatest. A few of my favorite brands they carry are on running shoes, which if you have a back like mine that has been used over and over again, these shoes are like running on clouds. Also, if you see me running, it means someone's chasing me. So you'll probably see me walking in them. Dolce Vita, C by Chloe, Sam Edelman, P448, and Veronica Beard, which makes beautiful sandals. Check them out on Instagram at Shoes on King or visit their website, www.shoesonking.com. Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick. Today we are sitting down with one of my dear friends, Tracy Guaz. I said it right. That's a really hard last name. Um, and you guys, we're really just going to jump right into this um, because we have so much to cover. And today our topic is very, I would say, multifaceted, if that's the right word. We're going to cover addiction, um, the stigma around that. We're going to cover grief. We're going to cover connectivity. We're going to talk about how Tracy and I basically fell into each other's lap, um, which I think is how we should start because I love that part of our story. And it's like so kismet and so, you know, like you said, Tyler brought you to me. And 100%. I, so let's talk about how Maggie had a, had a pimple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maggie. Oh, Maggie, we love you. Go ahead. Yes. So um, I started going to the works after several, several years before that, visiting Charleston, taking a yoga class with my daughter's friend at CPY. Mm-hmm. And had this great teacher who I had, did not know what her name was, but I, she had a scratchy voice, much like mine. <laughs> and she just was incredible. And I remember coming back for my next visit to Charleston and didn't see, couldn't find her. And, and I, at the end of the class, she obviously said, you know, my name's Maggie. I'm like, oh, so the next time I came, I looked for her. I thought, why isn't she on the schedule? Where did this girl go? <laughs> and I just started do, like, going down the rabbit hole of Google and looking around and realized that, oh, there's a new studio in town called The Works and realized that the person that started CPY had gone to The Works and it was you, mm-hmm. Sarah Frick. Mm-hmm. And That's me. Long story short, I found <laughs> Maggie and, and when we moved here, I started going um, pretty often to Maggie's class. We became friends um, she, <laughs> we always talked about our throats, like that's our, like Achilles heel and, <laughs> and we shared, you know, different remedies and things. And so one day she said to me, oh my God, I don't know what to do about my, I have all these pimples and it's crazy. So I, one day just randomly, very randomly on a Friday, I thought oh, I'm going to drop her off the stuff that I use sometimes when I have breakouts and, um, really natural stuff. So I went to the studio. It was a Friday. It was locked. I knocked on the door. Nobody was there. I'm like, oh, I'll just leave it at the door. I'll shoot her a text and, you know, she'll get the stuff, um, the zit cream. And I wa- literally turned around to walk back to my car. I didn't even have my phone or anything. And Sarah opens the door and was like, hey, what do you need? And we had, 
I had taken your class. We had never met, mm-hmm. but we recognized, obviously I knew who you were and you recognized yeah. me and, and you were like, Hey, I, you know, come on in. We're just, we're just finishing up some stuff. I walk in the door. It was Maggie, you, Sean and Kira and Kira. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't actually met Sean or Kira before. Mm-hmm. And three hours later, yeah, three hours later, I'm sure your husband was like, hello. And I had no phone. I had, like everything was in my car. Um, we sat in your office, Sarah, and we, you know, you were so welcoming and kind and Hey, yeah. You know, something about kids. Well, I, we were, so I think we were in there and it was, was, it was like a Friday, right? It was a Friday afternoon. And I think we like had, we were drinking a little tequila, which we like to tend to do sometimes on a Friday. Yes, and I was, for like, sure. I was like, come in. And I was like, cause you had been coming classes for so much, for so long. And I hadn't really had a chance to get to know, you know, I like to like, so, like I'm always say like, I'm a, I'm a people collector. I don't care about things. So I'm like, tell me everything. Like I want to yeah, suck tell your me soul. Everything. Like how many kids yeah. do you have? And I was like, Oh, you, I was like, do you, I was like, how many kids do you do? Do you have five kids? Or I said, do you have four kids? And you said, no, I have five. And yeah. then you started to tell me the story. And it's funny because it's not funny. It's, it's interesting because when you, when you lose a child, um, there is this sense of, you know, compl- I don't even know how to put it into words sometimes, but amongst the devastation and, and the, the grief and, and, and the pain, it, it's, it's this longing to be where, where you were before. And that means being the mother of the amount of the number of children that you had. So when people ask me, how many children do you have? I say five because I, because I have five do. children yeah. and, and that will never change. Um, and sometimes when I meet someone that maybe I don't think I'm going to see again, or it's a very brief conversation, I leave it at that. And I don't, I don't expound on that. I don't right. say much more. Yeah. So when you asked me, and I think that this goes back to the reason that I kept going back to the works and I kept going back to class and that initially started with Maggie was the feeling that it was so much more than what was really happening in the room. It was so much more than the physical part for me. And it was the thing that quite honestly got me out of bed in the morning because mm-hmm. I knew I could count on an 8.30 class and I, I have become the kind of person because of what what we've been through is that I need a lot of structure Mm -hmm. and maybe that won't be forever, but for right now, it just, it's what I need and it works really well. Um, but when, when you asked me that question, the difference was, I felt like you, you and Maggie and, and, and the people at the works were going to be in my life. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, it allowed me to say, I have five children. We lost our oldest son, Tyler, Mm -hmm. which is not something I say often, Mm -hmm. depending on who I'm meeting. Right. And that happened like pretty quickly when I came in there, right? Because we spent the next few hours. Hand me the tissues and shut the door. Yeah. We we have a lot to... And we sat on the floor in your office. Someone offered me a shot of tequila. I gratefully accepted. (laughs) Probably me. And we... I have never, it, 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 I felt so safe. I felt so loved. I felt so heard and I felt so seen and I felt like there was no judgment. And so the second thing that I, I'm getting much better at it, but I very rarely would go to is how we lost 
mm-hmm. our son. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was sacred. And for so many years, when Tyler was struggling with addiction, I always felt like that was his story to tell mm-hmm. and not mine. Right. Not ours as a family. Now that we don't have him here and now that he can't tell his story, it is my honor to share his story. Yeah. Because I know that it's something that he would have done Mm -hmm. and he wanted to do and it is my honor and it's my... um, you know, I've made a commitment to myself for the rest of my life, or at least until I have my last breath, that that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I feel every day he guides me. He shows me the way. He brings people into my life, mm-hmm. yeah. such as Sarah <laughs> and all of the m- amazing people I've met at the works. But that is, there's no accident there. Right. Because I could have just come to move to Charleston and got on a bike and rode my bike every day. Right. Or I could have just done a lot of other things, right? I didn't, I didn't, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And part of, and we'll just backtrack just a little bit. Um, so part of, you moved to Charleston soon after you. you so we did, it, you know, it's really funny when I think back, it, it, or really um, fascinating when I think back, because when we lost Tyler in January of 2020, no one knew what COVID was, mm-hmm. right? And shortly after, um, w- there was rumblings of this something called COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it, anyone even used the word pandemic. It was a virus. There yeah. was a virus. And it was becoming a little bit more prevalent in in our lives. And, you know, in a way, it was a blessing for my family. Tyler was the oldest of five. Um, so I had two two older children working and I had two children in college. And because of COVID, my two older children could not go back to work because everything was going remote and my twins couldn't go back to college. And it was as though those decisions were made for them and they weren't forced to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. So we were able to, um, be together for that, you know, very extended period of time. And we did so, you know, pretty remotely. And it was, I don't know, it was like, again, I feel like that was Tyler just saying like, please give my family a moment Mm -hmm. um, where they can just be together and really have a lot of those extraneous distractions and things taken away. Yep. And, so, and was that, and I, cause I think you and I've talked, I mean, we've talked about, you know, you and me or not me, but you and a lot of your healing. Um, and clearly like, as always, this is not, if it's not your story to tell, you don't have to share, but how like this, I know that you guys are a super tight family for your children. What, how, I mean, clearly it was tragic and terrible and sad and they worry about you as their mother. And like, how did the dynamic, did things shift? Yeah, it was, um, I think early on, um, we, when we were quarantining together, the six of us, we felt, and I can say we, because I, I think I can speak for all of them. We all kind of felt very lost, Mm -hmm. um, 
we felt um, incomplete because we've been a family of seven mm-hmm. for as long as any of my four children know, mm-hmm. right? Because he yep. was our oldest. Yep. So, and that dynamic was, um, you know, just kind of what tied us together. He was a um, big part of their lives. Um, and that was something that we just really had to feel. And that, again, that quarantining, that little bit of isolation, I think was a blessing mm-hmm. because it allowed us to do so kind of just with, within our own confines. We weren't, you know, the whole world stopped. So everybody was quarantining. It, and I felt this for my children, and Sarah knows this, but I lost my mom when I was 19 very suddenly um, in a car accident, and I went back to college. And it was hard because I was that girl like, oh, there's the, she lost her mom. Yeah. You know, and 19 year olds, that's a hard concept. Right, right. So what do you do? Instead of talking about it, you don't talk about it. Right. And you, and so that was super isolating for me in a way. Yep. Um, And I knew that in the back of my head, Ava and Owen, my twins, didn't, didn't go back to college initially. So they weren't the, 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 the kids that lost their brother. Right. And for Patrick and Isabel, who are both in the working world, I think it would have been a little bit different for them because their friends are a little older and along with that comes a little bit of maturity, but still grief is like unchartered Oh yeah. Waters. And people are so uncomfortable with it just from my own experience. So I mean, uncomfortable. You know, there's some people that will climb and sit on the floor with you and hold your hand and, you know, do the, the thing. But then some people are just want to, I think it's and from my experience in trying to understand it and not be so angry about it just with our lo- certain losses, you know, like it's there. It, that's a projection of them. You know, it's like, don't pat me on the back and tell me it's going to be okay. And we'll get through this. You're, just be strong. You got this. Right. And don't tell me everything happens for a reason because I might have to cut you. Uh, that's right. right. And, and I've had, and, and, you know, to be quite honest, I had people say things to me like everything happens for a reason. He's in a better place. God only gives you what you can handle. Mm. I literally wanted to rip people's faces off. You were like, so now I'm going to punch you. How does that feel? Well, yeah, because it's, it's because again, but what I really have come to learn is God bless you because clearly you have not experienced this type of loss. Right. And I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Like God bless you for now. I don't know what will happen in the future, but and 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 thankfully, like that, that you don't understand that right. this kind of loss. Um, but I think that as a kind of as a society, we're very illiterate when it comes to grief. Um, we we it's it's you know it's reality, mm-hmm. and so sometimes when you come close to that reality, especially when you're when you're dealing with the loss of a child, mm. it's really hard to to deal with. I understand that as a parent, like I know that as some of my dearest closest friends just do not have the 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 words, mm-hmm. and I don't fault anybody for that right. because how would they? Right. How would they even know right. what to say? And what I'm learning too is that. Sometimes, most of the time, you, you the best thing is to not say anything, but to be there, mm-hmm. to you know, as cliche as it sounds, to hold, to hold space, yeah. right? To to just be there. But when you have someone who literally just shows up, 
and doesn't ask for anything. And, and by the way, sometimes says doesn't even ask what you need Mm -hmm. because when you have, it's like the, the love of humanity, like, what do you need? I am so not in the right frame of mind to even articulate what I need in that moment. But when you have somebody that like, I had a, a dear, dear friend who God bless her. Like she understood loss and she understood grief. And in the morning I would get a text and all it would say is, I love you. There's a cup of coffee at your door. Mm -hmm. And there was a cup of coffee at my door. And as Mm -hmm. simple as that sounds, I mean, I'm talking about it 21 months later. Yeah. I didn't have to get in my car. I didn't have to go. You know, we we raised our five children in the same town. Mm -hmm. When you have five kids, you know all walks of life, right? Mm -hmm. And they all played sports and they all played lacrosse and they all did a lot of activities and... Dave and I were pretty active in the community. So you know a lot of people, and that's an amazing thing. But then it's like... But then it's hard because every time you go out of your door, if you run into somebody, they want to share their, their, you know, share their condolences, give you a hug. And it's like ripping off a scab or a Band-Aid, and it's it's hard. So I'm learning, and I, I, you know, through this experience have... I feel like I've learned so much about how to show up for others... And sometimes we don't know what to say mm-hmm. and it's okay. And, and, and sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, cause you can say the wrong thing and then say, you know what? I don't even know if that, how that landed with you. And I, I'm sorry, like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, right. but that's the best thing. Yep. I it's agree. Like, I don't know what to say to you, but I'm here. Right. And, and I'm, I'm so sad. Yeah. And yeah. that's, a, that's all you have to say. Yep. Like, and I agree totally. I have a dear friend who I think we all know, and she's going through something with her husband and, um, you know, and I just say, I don't know what to say, but you want to come over and just talk, have a cup of coffee, have a glass of wine and just air it all. And like, we're, we we do not need to fix this. That's right. Yeah. Like it fucking sucks. Let's just it's be angry hard. about it. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm fucking mad too. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to, you know, like, you know, she's like, today I want to laugh. I'm like, I got some funny fucking stories to tell you. Like, that's you right. Know what I mean, like, that's right. I really, I do her, funny shit all the time. <laughs> yeah, and 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 again, we we don't want to. Um, I think that the way that many of us, our minds are just kind of programmed is like we, if something is wrong, we want to fix it. And this is not something you can fix. And sometimes what happens is when someone wants you to feel better, it's it is like Sarah said. Exactly, Sarah. It's a projection of what they're dealing with and they don't want to deal with the pain. And if you're better, then they're going to feel better. And it's like this whole like vicious cycle when you can't fix it. Right. It is an unimaginable loss. Yeah. We just need to be in our grief. And by the way, if we don't feel our grief and integrate it, it's going to overcome us. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that because in the beginning it was so overwhelming to me that I just didn't think mm-hmm. that there was any way. I mean, if you had said to me a year ago that I would be sitting talking to, to you, I would say absolutely not because I don't think that I, at that point in my life, I, saw, I thought I'm going to be a burden to, the, to my other children. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to function in the way that I want to function for them. I'm not going to be able to be the mom or the wife or the friend or the anything. Um, and it's okay to be in that state of mind. Mm-hmm. It's okay. If that's where you're starting from, Right. you're starting from there. Right. Right. So, so that's okay. It's, it's all, 
everyone's it's grief is so personal and um i just completed a really fascinating um program a four-month program with david kessler who's just a world-renowned grief expert and he said so many things that resonated with me and i just keep going back and going through all of our classes that we did together um but he said that everyone's grief is the most important grief. Mm. You can't compare grief. You know, one isn't worse or easier or more palatable in any way. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's grief is is the most important grief. Mm-hmm. And it's about that respect and that sharing and that, you know, finding that common ground um, and realizing that it's something that is now a part of me. So going back to that word integration, like I have to integrate this grief into my life. If I push it down or push it away, it's going to come back mm-hmm. and it's going to come back with, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to build and yeah. it's going it's to create, it builds it's going to be bigger and yep. harder and more difficult to navigate. And it, it's hard to navigate at any point. But if you can really just kind of, look at it, you know, stare it in the face and say, okay, you're here. You're not going anywhere. I can't change this situation, mm-hmm. but I have choices mm-hmm. and I have decisions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we talked about was you're swimming in a pool and you're drowning and you go to the bottom of the pool and you're there when you're on the bottom. And as simple as it sounds, in that moment, you can either push yourself up to the top or you can stay. Mm-hmm. And that's not something, that's not a decision you make once. Mm-hmm. I mean, I f- sometimes mm-hmm. make that decision 50 times a day. Yeah. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I might, you know, go to a class or, you know, have dinner with my family and could be like, wow, I, this is great. Like I'm with my family or I'm like getting, you know, connecting with my breath in a yoga class, which is so important to me. And an hour later, I could be literally sitting in my car sobbing and I can't drive. Mm-hmm. So it's not... Um, well, it's not linear. It's not linear. No. It's not... There's and not I think, like a start and a middle and a finish. Right. And I think that's... Unfortunately. ...something that is really <clears throat> um, relevant to bring up. And, and I think like, you know, my experiences with grief are different than your experiences with grief. But like, you know, I do talk about it in class a lot because I think at some point we all grieve. And like, I used to be so nervous because I'm like, oh, people are going to be like Sarah, the heavy yoga teacher. But the, you know what? The people that need, the people that hear it, like we're all grieving in a sense, like whether it's you're grieving a person, some people are grieving an addiction, like a love, a divorce, you know? It's That's like right. we all have these things that we are constantly, like a body, like your, your own body, right? As you transition, I mean, this is like silly, but from like 30 to 40, I'm like, where did that 20-year-old body go? When did that happen, you That's know? Right. And it's just like, it's it's this evolution, this process of just being in the knowing mm-hmm. and not having to figure it out That's and right. not thinking, okay, well, all right, March 30th, I'm done grieving. Yeah. I mean, that is just so not the way it is. I mean, it's just, and you know, and then you have milestones, right? Not Mm, only in your life and the life, the the lives of the people that you love, but you know, it's, I'm just going to be real, real honest here. Like some of Tyler's best friends are getting married and, you know, having babies. (laughs) It's like. He's never, he's never going to get that opportunity. Um, 
And I love and, and I'm so happy for those around me that are having these experiences, but I'm human and it touches something so deep in my heart as a mom. And I think, you know, he, he's not going to, in this lifetime, at least, right. but I believe in many lifetimes. Yeah. This is just in this lifetime. Yep. That is not going to happen for him. Um, and he was such a force in our lives and actually in the lives of so many people that have reached out to me and Dave and the kids and our friends. And he, he continues to impact people so deeply that that is what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just a different form. It's a different form of love. Um, his energy is with me. It it may not physically, like I can't reach out and hold his hand and I can't, you know, hug him, but his energy is so alive in my life and it's with me every day. I talk openly to him all the time. Yeah. And he sends me signs and sometimes they're really, really clear and really, really loud. Mm -hmm. And other times they're subtle and they're beautiful and it might be a cardinal that flies and stops, you know, lands on the chair I'm sitting on in my backyard. And it could be, um, sitting in your office on that Friday afternoon Mm -hmm. and realizing that there are people that love me and see me and don't judge, you know, the disease of addiction and are so open and welcoming that, you know, those things can shift your perspective in a minute. Yeah. And so, you know, when I share his story now that he's not here, I do so because I know someone's going to hear that. And maybe that's the thing that changes their hour, Yeah, you know, and they can get out of their car Yeah, and they can go do whatever it is that they were starting to do. Then they stopped because it happens to me all the time. I just, you know, I have, um, different things that happen to me. And I just, you know, I have this like amazing to-do list and I'm going to do all these things and something happens and I'm curled up in a ball at my kitchen floor. Yeah. So one thing I would love to do as well, just to give a little context, because I think we have listeners that are going to be sitting in your seat. And I think we have listeners that are going to be sitting in Tyler's seat as well. Yeah. Or have been there or have children that may be there or maybe going there. So I'd love if, if you feel comfortable just to share a little bit about him and his story and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Tyler was very athletic, um, from a really young age and loved all kinds of sports. Um, and I think I mentioned all five of them really loved and played lacrosse. Um, and when Tyler was a sophomore in high school, he played, um, he played football, basketball and baseball. And then his junior year, he switched over to lacrosse. Um, in place of basketball, but so that he made the varsity team. He was a big guy. He was playing, um, in a pretty competitive league. Our high school had a pretty competitive football team and he was injured and he was injured pretty badly. And he tore the labrum in his shoulder. And at first we thought that, you know, with some rest and things, he would be okay. And then it was determined that he needed to have surgery. 
He did so at a really incredible hospital in New York called HSS. Um, it went beautifully. And that was the first time that an opioid entered his body. And I held the bottle. You know, I was given the prescription because he was 16 years old and he was prescribed it very short term and he was on it very short term. Like we, you know, gave him just initially in the, you know, really acute part of the pain. And then it was fine. And he, that, that was it. Like who knew that, you know, the disease of addiction is, is, is a chronic disease of the brain. And when you have those receptors that are, that are, um, triggered or lit up by, um, the, you know, some kind of a drug, um, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, sometimes people are, have that addictive gene in their body and they never have a drug. And so the, therefore that's never triggered, right? right? And they never go down that path. Other times it's, you know, having recreational drugs. It, who knows? There's so many different paths to Correct. this disease, but this is just our path. Right. This was his path. And, um, and it wasn't until later, much later in college, he ended up, he played college lacrosse and he was recruited and he did very well in school and he ended up working and having amazing jobs and a successful career. But the underlying addiction was there because those receptors did you know? were, were fired. I, we started to know in college. I started to notice differences in his academic performance, just his behavior. Um, he and I have always been incredibly close and he was very open with us. Um, and it was a powerful, it, it, it th- that type of addiction, um, it, it, it has a grip and when it takes a grip on your life, it's really hard to think about anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this because I know personally, and I know just nationally that there are so many people who are living a life right now as addicts and trying to find the way and get the help that they need. And because of the stigma around the disease and because of the lack of acceptance as a disease, people are isolated. Isolation brings on more. I mean, COVID has had a profound impact. I've heard about, I've I've read about that, like just how many people drinking and everything. Yeah. And, and so isolation breeds, um, you know, talk about having, having the disease, you know, a substance use disorder, which is what it is, you know, should be called substance use disorder, um, which is many times met with judgment, right? Like it's character flaw, it's, it's moral failure, it's, you know, you did something wrong. I mean, you would never say that to somebody that came to you and said, I was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Right. Or I just found out I have type one diabetes. Like right. you would never, there was, no, there would be no judgment, right. but it's the, it's the, um, lack of education, um, around the disease of addiction. And so I think that by sharing our stories, it, it will, I, I pray it will help others feel that they have a disease and they deserve treatment and they deserve access to, to, mm-hmm. to the right kinds of treatment that mm-hmm. are available. Um, we need to do better in that. And we also need to, um, we need to understand that, um, you know, no one wakes up and says, I want to be an alcoholic. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be an addict. Like this is something that happens. You're born with that gene. And I think that the more that we can share our stories and also to 
have an understanding that it, it, it doesn't, you know, addiction doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how successful you are. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, it, addiction doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and not only is it affecting the, the person who is going through the addiction, but the, the ripple effect that that has on the family and, and then friends. And, and so it's just, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a traumatic road. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you live in that, with that shame, it's not helping the person who is fighting the disease because mm -hmm. if they see the family and the people that they love around them living in shame, right, right, right. of course they're going to think they're doing something wrong or yep. that it's their fault or that, you know, I'm so sorry. Um, and I think that the more open that we can be about it and, and understand it, the better, the, 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 the faster, right, we can learn as a society to treat this as a disease mm -hmm. and get, get the medical treatment that we need. Um, I kind of liken it to, you know, think back to the disease of AIDS mm -hmm. in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Shrouded in shame. Yep. Um, now it is completely treatable and people are living long, right, healthy lives. Yeah. And they're treating it before they're, or they're, they're taking things to prevent it. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, most, and I don't, and I don't hope I don't say this the wrong way, but several of my friends that are gay men, like, I think they actually take a pill, right? And just that's just something they take regularly. That's right. That's right. There's lots of um, medications that can help people who you know are in active addic addiction. Um, there's Suboxone. There's um, there's um, many different forms of that. There's a shot called Vivitrol that you can get once a month that not only lessens the cravings mm -hmm. but it um, acts as a um, like you, you can't get a high from an opioid or oh, any kind wow. of substance like that. But again, this is expensive. Yep. Sometimes it's not covered by um, insurance, so it's not available to a lot of people, right? So, so it's it's a very kind of an exclusive, which should not be the case. I agree. It should be offered for everybody. Uh -huh. And um, the, and there's also, again, like the stigma that's around it. It, it prevents people from just coming forward and asking for help, right? Maybe they would have the means to get the help, but they're too afraid mm -hmm. to be judged, to, you know, maybe, you know, have someone walk away from them in a relationship, it lose their job. I mean, I think that what you're talking about is so huge. I just, you know, I, I have a few friends who have gone through uh, rehab and treatment and they've in the midst of it while their partner was leaving them. And they were losing custody of their children. Yeah. And it's like, well, fuck. Now I don't even have my addiction. So I now, now who fucking cares about anything? That's right. And think about the relapse there, the right. relapse rate. And that's another thing. Like relapse is part of getting, it's part of recovery, mm -hmm. right? It's part of recovery. And did you ever listen to that podcast with Dak Shepard? And have you, you? Yes. So he did one with Macklemore, who are both mm. um, addicts. And Macklemore talked about how he relapsed during COVID um, and how his wife's sober as well. And that that's just, that's, it's not like their relationship isn't contingent on, right? Like, like what you were saying, like, I am an addict. I will always be an addict. Like relapse is possibly in my future. That's right. That's right. And you take the steps to prevent that. And again, one of the main things, and I'm learning so much about this because I've really done a deep dive 
during Tyler's struggle with addiction and, and, and almost even more so now, um, because in order to help other people, I need to understand this. Right. And I need to, like, we talked about grief. Like Mm -hmm. I want to say the right thing. And if I, and if, if it's a time not to say something then I want to know when that time is, and I want to understand to the best of my ability. I mean, I will never understand what it is like to be an addict. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and I'm not pretending that I do, but this is a question and I don't know the answer and maybe some of our listeners don't, but is is it genetic? Is it something yes, that runs in families? Yes, there is a genetic component okay. to addiction. So absolutely. It runs, it could potentially... It can run in a family. Okay. Absolutely. Um, they say that there is a um, um, connection to that. Um, but I was, I wanted to bring it back to a little bit, like it's funny because when you talk about like losing someone and and grief and and the struggle with addiction, I keep coming back to connection because connection is where we want to be, mm-hmm. right? Isolated is not where we want to be. So things like shame, mm-hmm. when they're seen, they die, mm-hmm. or at least they diminish, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So this connection with others and, you know, when people openly come up to me and say, you know, I, I, I know your story or I am familiar with what your family is doing with the foundation or, you know, thank you so much. I'm in recovery. Mm. My sister is an addict. I lost my brother to an overdose. It's like that connection mm-hmm. is, is, is everything. Cause I mean, you're not alone. Cause you're not alone. And when you're not alone, you feel like you can, you can move forward. You can live, you can live, you can breathe. Um, and this work that I've done with David Kessler, he, he lost his son to an overdose. So he lost his mother as a young child. And not only did he lose his mom to cancer, but he was, he and his dad were staying in a hotel across the street. She was in the ICU. He wasn't allowed to go into the ICU, but they were there. And, um, and there was, and he talks very openly about this. There was a mass shooting at the hotel where he and his father were staying. Wow. So he witnessed a lot of death as a young, a young boy. And he ended up dedicating his life. And he went on to college and studied psychology and is like a gr- renowned grief expert. And five years ago, he lost his son to addiction. Mm. And he says very openly, I thought I knew what grief was. I thought I understood. And oh, and by the way, I've been helping people for 20 years. Right. Like, right, oh right, 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 right. And then all of a sudden he is the one, right, who has, who has lost a child. And he said, it just stopped me in my tracks. I had no idea mm-hmm. the depth mm-hmm. of this pain and this loss. And so he has spent the last five years really thinking about that and how to integrate you know, he's never going to be the same person. I am never right. going to be the same person. Right. And I don't pretend to be. And right. I'm very unapologetic about my grief. Like I, I feel what I feel and I act the way I act because I have to. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm, I'm integrating and becoming the person who has lost a child. Right. Um, and I'm not pretending to not be that person. Um, but again, I think about connection and I think about when we can feel our grief you know, we have to feel our grief, mm-hmm. right? We have to. Um, and it, and it becomes something that we 
I don't want to say learn to live with, but we don't get through it. It's, there's no finish line. Right. But if we can learn how to integrate it into our, into our heart and into our soul and it becomes who we are and we can acknowledge, like I think about Tyler's 29 years here and I don't want to diminish that. I want to, I want to, I want to honor that. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I, and I want to, I want to continue to, um, think of that in the best possible way. Like he, he, I am so proud of him. Yeah. And in doing that, it helps me, right? It helps me to move to my foot, like one foot in front of the other. Like it helps me get out of my car. It helps me to be a person that I think other people want to be around, you know, and it's, it's taken a while. And I, again, I, it's very up and down and very, um, you know, there's a lot of highs and not a lot of highs. There's a few highs and there's a lot of lows, but you know, being with people just like to, you. And I'm totally interrupting you, but yeah. like you're like, and Lindsay's just met you 20 seconds ago. Is she not just like you do? And I'm, I'm only can imagine that Tyler's so much like you. You fill a room, Tracy, you do. Like before I knew anything about you, I'd like bump into you in the bathroom at the studio. And I'm like, this chick's got some freaking good energy. You do. And, and, and even if you feel, and I don't feel like it's fake. Like, I don't feel like you're personally, like you're putting on this happy face. Like that's your being. Yeah. And I think you sharing his story is you, that you're mothering him. Right. And that's what you, this is now how, and someone said this to me about grace and I know I never, never want to compare. And like, you know, you, like you just said, like everyone's grief is equally important, yes. but like she, what she did in three days like the people that she touched and the stories that I've heard and like the ministry that I feel like it's created in my life to create the works to, to meet you and to do like what she did in three days, I might never be like someone else might not be able to do in 300 years. That's right. It's just wild. It's it's. And see, that was the gift that grace had, right? Mm -hmm. That was her energy. Mm -hmm. And that was her, that was what she was meant to do. And I truly feel like Tyler's 29 years here. He accomplished more than most people will who lived to be 90. Exactly. I, I just know it. Yep. And his energy, and he was, you know, he, he was and, and remains um, one of the most important people in my life. And he was my best friend and he helped me so much as a human being. Like he just, we just had that relationship, you know, and it was like, and everybody knew it. Like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, <laughs> sorry, everybody, yeah. but you all know, I'm yeah. not saying anything you don't know. Right. Um, I'm just verbalizing on a podcast. <laughs> We're going to share yeah, this with sorry, the world. Yeah. Um, but sorry, he, kids. <laughs> he has, he has allowed me to, I know what my purpose is and I know what my purpose is because of him. And I know what my purpose is because of my husband and my four children. And it's like, we are all in this together and we're going to make a shit ton of mistakes. And, and, you know, I'm going to say the wrong thing to somebody or, you know, I'm going to maybe falter a little bit on my path, like trying to find my way, but I'm going to try. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 it's all I can do. I can just every day wake up. And I say this to my kids too, like every day we wake up, we have a choice and we can either go out there and just try to be the best person that we can be. Some days, maybe that's going to be a lot harder, right? And some days it's going to feel a little lighter and I don't know why, mm -hmm. right? But the people that I have met, 
specifically on the journey since losing my son, I have no doubt in my mind that they have been put on my path by him. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm learning from them, and I hope I'm sharing something from me that I've learned from Tyler mm-hmm. that will help them. Mm-hmm. And it's just that. It's that connection and creating a sense of community where you go. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to do every day. Yeah. It's like I learned that you from do. my mom and dad. It's like just, you know, everyone's just doing the best that they can. Mm-hmm. And they might not think the way you think, and they might say things that piss you off. And, like, you know, I say things that piss other people off. But it's <laughs> like we're just we're just trying to do the best we can. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Like, you know, and and... If we can just keep doing that, I, I just know, and I already know because of the magnitude of the people that have reached out to my family through, you know, some, some through a DM and it's like, I don't even understand where to go on my phone sometimes. And I have to ask my kids like, how do you check this? And yeah. they're like, oh my God, you're such a boomer. But I'm like, <laughs> I just don't know. But, but those people have been touched in some way by him. And that's what I want to continue. Yeah. Let's talk about the foundation a little bit. Because I think it's so amazing what you're doing oh. and where, and I don't even know. And I know I've been, that, that ride we did the other day was so incredible. I know y'all have done other things. Where is, is the money going? What is, let's talk about yeah. the mission, all so of it. So the Tyler G Foundation, I, I, I'm going to take very little credit for that. And I'm going to give that credit to my family because literally when we were coming back from Florida, we were in the hospital with Tyler for 10 days. He was on life support. And we were there as a family. And when we lost him, we needed to, you know, we wanted to go back to to our hometown of Greenwich, Connecticut. And that's where we wanted to do the services and we wanted to honor his mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And we, a few days after, we were going back to, to so Greenwich. So you all flew, because you were in Greenwich and he was living in Florida, Yeah, correct? Okay. and we and all flew, flew. Okay. from, like, my kids were in college and Patrick was in New York. Like, we all gathered down in Florida. And... um and, and my best friend, Jackie, and I have to say that because she was Tyler's godmother and I just, I can't say enough, but so I've we heard you talk about her She's before, my family yeah. and yeah. we were all there together. But when we left to go back to Connecticut, I am not kidding you when I tell you that Patrick and Isabel literally spearheaded this foundation on the plane. You're two, the two. My two oldest. The two oldest, yep spearheaded this foundation and like made it happen in a way that I, it would take me five years, Mm -hmm. you know, um, from a, you know, technology standpoint and everything else. Um, and Patrick got a GoFundMe page up before we got on the plane. And by the time we landed, I don't even know, like it exploded. Um, and it's taken about, it took then about a year to get our 501c3 status, which are, is our nonprofit status, which is pretty tricky to get. Mm -hmm. I had no idea, but we have that now. And, um, we have a website, it's tylergfoundation.org. And, um, there's some really beautiful pictures and Isabel, our daughter, who is like a communications wizard, um, in her professional life, um, wrote kind of shared Tyler's story. And it's, I would love for everyone to read that if they could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our mission is to, um, we really want to focus on educational initiatives around addiction and family resource programs because it's really, really hard when you have a loved one suffering from a disease and you don't know where to go. Mm. 
And it's really hard, you know, it's not like you're like, oh, I'm going to go to Memorial Sloan Kettering and they're going to tell us exactly what we're going to do for the disease of cancer. Mm -hmm. We're we're just not there yet with this disease. And so we want to use our resources to help the families, um, to fund programming, to, to just increase awareness and around the disease of addiction and to provide resources to the families that are navigating this, this rocky road. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, you know, we were so fortunate to, to be connected with a lot of wonderful resources through Tyler's, on Tyler's journey. And I'm still in touch with so many of those people and they're doing the work, you know, they are providing the resources, whether it's like inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment, so people sober go living. So they, so if, say if one of our listeners is like, um, she speaks, she is speaking to my heart right now. They would go to this page and do they apply for like something or? Yeah. So we have an application process where people can apply, um, programs can apply like, Hey, this is something we're trying to spearhead and we're going to offer educational programming to a hundred people. We're, 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 we, our approach is going to be a little bit more broad, broad stroke. Okay. Um, because we think that that's how we can be most effective. Yep. Um, talking to other people, doing the rides that we're doing, mm-hmm. like we did at the work cycle. Yep. We did one up in Connecticut. Um, we had a really strong presence at the Greenwich Town Party. That was our first time. That was really our first event. Um, providing education. If people need just, where do I go from here? Right? right? Like, what do I do? Yeah. I don't even know what to do. Totally. Um, it's scary. And again, like bringing it out of the shadows, like you shouldn't have to look, be looking for resources right. like in a dark room because right. you don't want anyone to know. Right. Um, so that's, you know, and we, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. And, um, We've had so many people reach out to us literally in the past like 10 days. That's amazing. So it's really just take it like, I feel like we've, you know, Patrick and Isabel and, and my family really spearheaded it and, and their mission is to, we don't want people to feel alone. You know, we want this to be in, this should be talked about in schools, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone should know. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm not saying, you know, it's. If you are aware of the fact that it is a disease of the brain, right, and can be triggered by the use of a drug, Mm -hmm. perhaps we can just bring that awareness into younger people who Mm -hmm. think it's not even worth trying Mm -hmm. because I don't know, Mm -hmm. right? And then there's a whole other side to this, which is the medical field, right? So when you think about like Like the big big pharma pharma, and what's happening with... um, I mean, with, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm clearly like an open book, but I just got, you know, a, my breast lift. And I mean, they immediately gave me oxy and I was in so much pain. I took it and then I went back and I'm not, and my doctor's wonderful. I'm not saying anything bad about them at all. I mean, you know, I, I, I was, I said to John, I was like, I'm in so much pain. I'm so scared. I'm so scared because of these stories. And he was like, Sarah, you're in a moment of time. Like you're, are you, this, you're not, this is okay. Right. Right. But I went back and the doctor's like, let me just give you another prescription for it in case you need it. That's right. And I'm like, that's scary. It's it's unbelievable. Because like, you don't know me, dude. I know. Like I could look like this great, you know, workout queen mom, but, and, 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 and I don't know, I don't want to like cross a line. I don't know how that works, but like, it's, I think that like the education piece has to be, the education piece has to be there. Because if I didn't know better, like I see, I was talking to a friend of mine, I'm like, 
I can see how, and I just, like how some of these, maybe a, a mom or a housewife or whatever, like you're depressed, you get, have a surgery or you have a, they gave them to me after my C-section. You're like, well, God, this takes the edge off a little and not knowing that the addiction thing is there. And then all of a sudden, five years later, you're, you know, and it just seems like it's so readily available. It, it is readily available. Easier it is to get readily like prescribed, pot. right? And um, I think that what happens too is that sometimes doctors aren't talking to one another. So if unfortunately, you know, in a, in a case where somebody is becoming addictive, ad- addicted, they may go to another doctor to get another prescription. So there are some systems that are starting to be put into place so the doctors are talking to one another. Cut it. And like you can't go double up with some another doctor. Right. Um, but there was a lot of um, misinformation when... Uh, opioids for oxycotton first came on the market and so it was it was um um you know the pharmaceutical companies misled the doctors and they mm. you know they they educated them on this new drug oxycotton as non-addictive you know non wow. non-addictive forming um non-narcotic type of a pain, like a, like a miraculous painkiller which it was not well because it is a narcotic correct y- yes and this started in the nineties and it escalated and it, and it has become, you know, it is a, it is such a huge problem in our country that I, that I, and I know I am incredibly passionate about it, obviously, but like, why aren't we talking about this more? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is more, this is now the number one cause of accidental death in the United States of America, right? More than car accidents, more than gun violence, more than you know, the flu. The, the it, it's all of those things combined are not to the level of over accidental overdoses. Mm-hmm. We need to do something, and that's like not even to begin to address the um, the fentanyl poisoning going on in our mm-hmm. country. So mm-hmm. so many of these drugs are now being laced with fentanyl, which is a deadly. It's deadly, yeah. and you don't even know it's there. Um, and it's not just an opiate. Opioids. It can be in opiates. It could be in cocaine. It can be in cannabis, marijuana. Um, it's it's a problem, and you know, we, we just need to we just need to be more aware. We need to start addressing this mm-hmm. from a really really high level in our country. Um, but here we are. Um, and one thing you said to me, and I don't this I'm like circling back because you and I have had so many conversations, but. W- you know, where Tyler was living at the time is like one of the number one places where people go for rehab and that these drug dealers prey. Yeah. So South Florida as a whole is a, you know, I don't want to say it's like the recovery capital of the United States because I I don't know that to be Mm -hmm. a fact, but it is a area of our country where there is a lot of recovery facilities and, um, it's known for, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful place to go for both inpatient, outpatient, sober living, and things like that. Well, unfortunately, when you have a population of people in recovery, you have people that are making a living by selling drugs. And what a better place to go, right? So then you have these people who will inf- infiltrate meetings, AA meetings, NA meetings. They, they know what they're doing. And it is such a scary situation. Um, and I don't talk about this often, but I'm going to talk about it right now because I think it's really important. And um, obviously I'm not using names or anything, so I think I'm okay. Um, and if we need to cut it, we'll cut it. <laughs> but um, so in Tyler's case, 
when we were in the hospital and we were in, in Florida, um, we were contacted by some undercover detectives who had been working tirelessly to try to find the drug dealers in that area, right? Because Tyler, sadly, is not the only one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are many, many people who have died of overdoses all over the country, but definitely in in the area of South Florida. So um, they, they... wanted any information that we could share. I, I didn't have a lot. We had a little. We mm-hmm. didn't really know. Um, and they actually, it was about six weeks ago. I actually was come. I came out of your class, Sarah. And I was in close contact with this one detective who, you know, he knew that I was a mom and he, he knew we were a family and he knew we were in the hospital praying for our son's life. And that's when I met him, when Tyler was still alive. And um, he... I came out of your class and I went to my car and I saw a voicemail and I had put his contact in my phone. So his name came up as a message and I just sat in my car for about 10 minutes because I knew in my heart that he had a reason to call me. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't just calling to check in and had been, right. you know, 20 months. Um, I called him back and the night before he had made an arrest and the person that sold Tyler, the fentanyl laced narcotic is in jail and you know it it obviously is not going to bring our son back and I I don't really know how I feel about that right now I'm still like processing all the emotions around that but I do know that it's one drug dealer that's not selling drugs to someone else mm-hmm. in Absolutely. that corner in that yeah. wherever in 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 that part of Florida yeah and you know, I hope that that has some effect on the chain. Yeah. Um, you know, I had like this dream the other night, like that he, this man, decided to like turn and give the names of all the big guys and the cartel. And, you know, I mean, this was my dream. Right, right, right. But, um, but I know that this has all happened and it it's, was meant to happen. Right. And this man is behind bars. Yeah. And, um, and I only share that because there are things that we can do. And they're little baby steps, yep. but it's, it's going to help. Yeah, totally. It's going to help someone. Yes. It's going to save a life. Yes. Um, you know, and it's like, it brings up a lot. I'm like, I'm angry and I'm, you know, I, I, just, I don't understand. Um, but this man worked so hard and it was funny because I said to him, I said, I can't believe you just, I can't believe this is happening. I, I can't believe you remembered me and you remembered us. And he said, Tracy, are you kidding me? You, that your family, are you, how I, I've never th- not thought of you guys. Mm-hmm. And COVID definitely put a lot of the investigations and the undercover investigations nationwide on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and things were just starting to, you know, be able to, you know, their undercover operations were able to start up again, which he explained to me. Um, but he never gave up. Yeah. You know, he never gave up. He said, I'm a dad and I can't imagine. So, you know, this is my job and I just, I'm so grateful for people like him. Yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful for people like you yes. and people who will allow us to tell our story. And I hope that for those listening, um, if there's a family member that you're trying to help, if there's a family member that you've lost, if there's someone out there listening who 
is struggling, like you're not alone and there's help. Yeah. There is help. There are resources. There's, there's research happening. There are approved medications for this disease. We just need to build awareness around this disease. And, and I think by doing things like this, it, it can only, it can only help. I agree a hundred percent. Um, there's one other story I'd love you to share if you want. And if not, we, we don't have to, but the, f- i the fact that you got to meet the man who oh. has your son's heart two weekends ago. I know. So, and you guys, like those of you that are listening that don't know Tracy, like this is a very serious and the whole story is devastating. But Tracy has one of the best senses of humor. Like you tell me these stories sometimes in the office when we're just going off the cuff. And I mean, you remind me of Jen Hodges, who everyone knows is like my heart. Like we're literally sitting, we're literally bawling, holding each other as tight as we can. And the next minute we're laughing. So we're peeing our pants. Pants, Right. It's, and that's like the fucking crazy, like that's how you got to get through life. Right. The, that's the shit, (laughs) right? Like, like that's the dichotomy of life. Like, and, and, oh my God, like we've had so much of that, like so much of that. But so when Tyler was 16, he was our first, you know, our oldest child and he got his license. He was 16 years old. He was so excited and he immediately signed up as an organ donor. And that was something that was very, very, very important to him. And so, um, without getting too deep into it, but we knew, um, there was a point in, in, in time in the hospital that it had been made very clear to us that there was probably very little chance of Tyler coming back to us. And it was something that we didn't want to even imagine or deal with, or it just was, it's still, I still can't even talk about it, but I knew, Dave and I knew how important organ donation was for him. And we, um, we made sure, and it's funny, I don't know if anybody knows this, but when you sign up as an organ donation, you are like in a national registry. As long as you continue, when you renew your license, you have to check that box mm-hmm. because it doesn't just happen, right? It's like you have to continually say yes, yep. um, which I think is very important too because you might change your mind and decide right. no. So just know that when you when you have your getting your license renewed. So um, obviously we... Um, we confirmed that that was still the case. And we were contacted by the uh, donor agency in in Miami, which covers the area that we are in of South Florida. Um, And Tyler saved the lives of three men, which is just miraculous in and of itself. Um, The first with the gift of his heart, which is a really, really complicated very complicated donation to make. Um, There's so many variables that go into any organ donation. I've learned so much about that that I never imagined that I would know. Um, More often than not, it is not successful. I didn't know that. It's very, very difficult. And he also saved two other men with his gift of his liver and kidneys. And it's a long, long, long process of connecting donor family to recipient and recipient family, rightfully so. Um, lots of privacy, HIPAA, all of those things. So it took about a year. Uh, we knew as a, as a donor family that we would be very open to meeting those men. So we signed our release forms pretty quickly and had just been like kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And you don't, we knew like male age 42, that's right. all we know. You don't know geographically where they're from. You don't know anything. 
And um, we found out a few months ago that Tyler's heart recipient had also signed the forms and was very open to meeting with us. And we had an initial phone call. And I actually talked to Gregory a couple days ago before this podcast and said, are you sure it's okay to talk? He's like, hell yeah. Like, (laughs) share our story, sister. So um, he's an incredible man. Um, He was dying and had spent most of 2019 in a hospital with um, congenital heart failure. And he now has our son's heart. And Dave and I drove to meet him. And it was, I don't, I, I don't, it's very, very hard to explain what that experience was like for us um, as Tyler's pa- parents. Um, but we spent some really wonderful time with, with he, his, um, he's the single father of two sets of twins. He's an only child. I met his mother. I met his aunt. I met his children. Mm-hmm. I met his girlfriend. We just spent some incredible time together. It was very emotional, a lot of tears and a lot of laughs. Mm -hmm. And he's just like this big hunk of love. And and he just, he is so grateful. Um, And he's very um, expressive and able to communicate his gratitude, which means a lot to us. Of course. And he did two tours in Iraq. He's a veteran. There's so many things about him that Tyler clearly loves and there's just no there's no doubt in my mind that that Tyler in that moment chose that man. Yeah, absolutely. Um and you know, he said to Dave and I, he said, Now you're you're my family. And my family is your family. Um they're actually coming to Charleston oh my <laughs> over the holidays. <laughs> So they didn't meet it. our other children, our four kids. So yeah. they're, they're coming. It's like one big crazy family. <laughs> um, and I'm so, gr- like that is that, there's this, there's this thing in grief where when you acknowledge it and you start to integrate it, you you need to understand and you need to take a moment to really let it break you down and when you do that and it doesn't and it doesn't become this thing that you don't want to deal with and it becomes this thing that you have to deal with and it's part of you in that moment for me i was able to see like these little like rays of hope mm-hmm. you know and and not only in our foundation which i think is like one of the brightest parts of my life right now mm-hmm. Um, that we're doing in his honor, that, that, that is not, it's, it's not, you know, it's not my children and it's not my husband. It's, it's this thing. It's Mm -hmm. this, you know, it's this like breathing, living thing to us. That's giving us all this hope and meeting someone like, like Gregory who has Tyler's heart. I mean, it's not lost on me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Tyler is, is living Tyler is here. Mm-hmm. I feel him every day. Yeah, absolutely. And to see this man living his life and doing these wonderful things with his life and being the father he wanted to be and mm-hmm. you know being able to do that um, gives me 
gives me hope. It gives me a, a sense of purpose mm-hmm. and meaning, you know, and, and, and there is meaning in grief. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, you got to find it, right? You've got to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it can be all encompassing. It can, it can overtake you yeah. and you can end up at the bottom of the pool. Yeah, you can. You can be at the bottom of the pool, and but I've, like. I've said this before on here, but I remember after we lost Grace, I was just like, said, John, you know, why me? Why me? And he said, you know, well, why not? Why not you? You know, why not us? And, and he's like, you know, when she died, you didn't jump off the bridge. So you got to get up and keep going. That's right. Every day. Like you said, every day or you choose it 50 times a day. And you know what? And, and, and honestly, it could be, um, I talked to a, a dear friend of mine who lost her daughter and, uh, it could be, I don't know, maybe in the beginning it's five minutes at a time. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Five minutes is great. Yep. You know, and I was at five minutes. Mm-hmm. I was at five minutes, Sarah. Like, yeah. you know, I couldn't talk to anybody. Um, I do feel like my world is a little smaller and that's actually a really beautiful thing. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. It's okay to kind of turn inward a little bit and feel. Because you got to feel. safe, too. Yes, it allows you to feel safe. And, and, then, and then there are moments where I can be a little bit more outwardly available, mm-hmm. you know. And um, listen, it, it, one of the most beautiful things... One, there's so many beautiful things that came out of that day in your office. Um, but one of those things, and it's kind of ironic with the timing, mm-hmm. is that um, I walked out of there somehow, weirdly, <laughs> registered for yoga teacher training. I was like, wait, Which, I have this great idea. Yeah. I have an idea while you're here. Sarah looked at Maggie and goes, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And Maggie goes, I think I'm thinking what you're thinking. And I'm, I, I'm just like, can I have another shot of tequila? No, I'm kidding. But, and, then, and then you said that. You said, what do you think? We're doing a teacher training. Let's talk about it. And it actually sounded like the best fucking idea like yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, you were like, I'm in. And this is our last weekend. Yes. And tomorrow is really like kind of the day. Yeah. And how funny. Are y'all the first one to we go? We are the first group and oh my I gosh, am the I'm first s- person of the first group. I'm, I have chills. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm very nervous in a way, but I'm like, I'm actually like, again, here it is. Here's this idea of like, we are here. We are together. We are breathing and we are living. Mm-hmm. And like everything is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. I know. Everything's an opportunity. Yep. And like, we're just doing the best we can. And like, it actually takes a lot of pressure off because you're like, I'm just doing the best I can. Absolutely. And when you, when you think of things that way, it's very freeing. It is. It's, it's really freeing. Mm -hmm. Like, and you know, I've learned so much from these wonderful people and all of you guys. And I just like, look at the smile on my face. Like I can't help but smile (laughs) because it's like, I, I didn't even think I'd be alive. Yeah. And I mean that. I know you do. I didn't think I'd be alive. And can you imagine, like, Sarah, you know this. It's like I've been studying and really working really hard with grief and breath and meditation and now yoga. And I'm like, if I can bring that to people in recovery. You can. And that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. That'll, be, like, that'll be our next podcast. And I am <laughs> so ready. And, and it's an honor. Like, it, it would be my honor to teach people in recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how to be in their body and yeah. connect with their breath. How you and, and the world of yoga has taught me because it's what's helped me. Yeah. 
and 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 it's it's available. It's like it's in us. Yeah, goes with you everywhere you go. Everywhere we go. Yep. Um. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of hope. Yeah, there is. And I think, and just to kind of wrap this, I mean, because you and I could probably sit here and talk for six more hours, but Lindsay has three kids, so, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think your story, and I know I don't want to like, you know, put, you know, tie it in a bow and make it look all pretty because like you said, you could go sit in your car right now and cry for two hours and then have to drive yourself over the bridge and get back home and make dinner, you know? And it's like, we keep saying it's not linear. And I think that that's such a message for people that are going through something because it's like, why can't I get through this? Why does this not get better? Why am I not getting better? Why is my wife not getting better? Why is my child not getting better? You know, or, or whatever, or the grieving or the healing or all of that. And it's just, it's okay if it's just one five minute or one minute at a time. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And like and just it, showing and it's up. normal in, in this, if that's even the word, but it's like, it's what it, that's what it is. It's hard. Yeah. Grief is not easy. No. You know, it's not easy, um, but it's inevitable in our, in our life. I like agree. It's here. And I think that the more that we can talk about it and share it, just the better. I agree. Take that shame right on out. Take it out. I agree. Well, I love you. I love you so much. You're the best. Lindsay, are you in love with her now too? Yes. (laughs) Um, Thank thank you you guys so much for listening. As always, please, please share this with everybody. Um, If you enjoyed the podcast, we always hope you'll give us a little review, a little write-up, and then you can find, does does the Tyler G Foundation have an Instagram page? Yes, we do. Okay. Tyler G Foundation. Tyler G Foundation and on Instagram. On Instagram, we're on Facebook by okay. the same name, and our website is .org. .org. It's a not, TylerGFoundation.org. And if you're ever in town and you're in one of my classes around 8.30, Tracy will be there. And I know, and I think I speak for Tracy when I say this, if you are local and you need someone to speak to, if you're experiencing anything with yourself, with a family member, a loved one, this woman will sit down and talk to you. Absolutely. So you can always reach out to me and I will connect you. Um, Thank you. And we'll talk to you guys soon.